Well, it's so good to be back. Oh, I was looking forward to be back. I was preaching at a particular retreat, taking a mini vacation with my family and going to this particular retreat where they had me preach six times. I enjoy preaching six times in three days, but, um, but I really, really enjoy preaching here because I feel like whenever I preach anywhere else, it's like a shot in the dark. I'm trying to find out what is it they're going through in life. But here, you know, I feel like I really could speak to the heart in my own heart as well as to reflect, uh, to speak my own heart in far, as far as the sermon is concerned as to, and also to affect your heart as I speak uh, the Word of God to you. So I'm really, really enjoying speaking here. In fact, if you were to ask me where is my favorite place to preach in all of the earth, it is here. No matter how big or small, it is here because I, I just love, love, love preaching in this, uh, in this pulpit here at the First Baptist Church of Hollywood. This is my home. And I hope this is yours too as well. First um, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. We're going to be reading through this passage. Again, continuing our study in First Corinthians, investigating what is a healthy church and what are healthy individuals. We're going to be in First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 15, regarding spiritual health. Let's read this together. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. But while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one, when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? What then is Paulus? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos' waters, but God gave the growth. So neither is he who plants, nor he who waters anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants, he who waters are one. Each one will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I lay a foundation, and someone else is building upon it that each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your admonition. We're thankful for your warning. We're thankful for your encouragement as we find your word. We know, Lord, that this word encourages us to be spiritually mature people of God as you call us to be. And we pray that we would be so as we're convicted by your word this morning. Holy Spirit, bring the conviction which we need for the changes that you're seeking for us to have in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love character development. We love character development in stories, in movies, in films. Characters can develop in a variety of different ways. They can develop in their confidence. They can develop in their skill set. They can develop in their appearance. They can develop in their personality. They can develop in a variety of different ways because... We find it interesting because we are also developing ourselves. We love character development stories because if a story does not have character development, it's not really a, a fun story for us to engage in. The reason why we love these stories is because we ourselves are developing characters. 
I think about my own life, and I love watching a particular kind of story or reading a particular kind of story when I was younger. I engage in romantic stories, and I mean, if we were to have friends come together and watch kind of like a romantic film, I wouldn't mind watching it because myself, I was going through that kind of moment in my life. I was young, I wasn't married back then, I was looking for a spouse, and if we were to throw me in front of a film where young people are seeking love, you have these kind of stories, these kind of films, these kind of movies, I wouldn't mind watching it because I can relate to it. But now I'm married, I have kids, I have a family. You hardly catch me watching a romantic movie ever because I just can't relate to it anymore. I don't really, really enjoy these kind of movies anymore. I enjoy movies now that are more historic, more about leadership, more about family, more about fatherhood. I, I can relate to those more. And I want to develop to be a better father, a better leader, a, a better husband of sorts. I want to become better in what I do. The reason why we want to be that is because we want to see our characters develop. So movies sort of lend to that. They kind of give us a vicarious sense of, of character development in which a, a particular person who is not confident becomes courageous and we root for this person. We celebrate behind this person, this particular story. Or a person who is not skilled and, you know, he plays basketball, he's not skilled, but then throughout the movie he becomes more skilled in his playing of basketball and football. We root for this person because we desire for this person to become better in what this person does. Or a person who uh, uh, is not confident becomes more courageous to do the work that um, he or she is set out to do. So we want characters to develop. Specifically, we want characters to develop in a positive way. We don't really want to watch movies where characters get worse and worse, especially the main character, right? Just like, man, this is depressing. I'm going to turn this off. I don't want to watch this person doing more horrible, horrible things given that he's the main character. Some movies are like that, but they're not really affecting our hearts in a positive way. We don't really like those kind of movies. However, Scripture actually tells us, even though we don't like that to be the story of our lives, Scripture actually tells us that in the very beginning we were like that. You see, when God first created the world, He created this world to be perfect. He created this world to be without sin. He created this world in which humanity are nice to each other. We didn't have these murderous thoughts, these hateful thoughts against each other because when God created the world in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, He saw everything and everything was good. Everything was perfect. However, humanity went and disobeyed God. And because we disobeyed God and disobeyed God's command, sin came to this world. Sin came into this world. We began to operate in our sinful nature as a result of operating our sinful nature, we begin to allow these sinful things into this world, things that we don't like, such as hateful words, hateful action, depression, sad thoughts that end up getting you out there, hurting other people. We see this in the news all the time. It's sad that humanity has fallen the way it is, and yet there's no other reason other than sin. Because we don't, because of, it's because of sin that humanity is the way which it is. Our God, however, is a perfect story writer. He is creating a story for this world, a story in which he is glorified, a story in which we're brought back to God and we get to return to become the person who God deemed us to be, who God actually called us to be. And that story begins and ends with the person Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, he came to earth to live that perfect life. He is that perfect character and he is the main character but he did that for us. He loved us. He lived this perfect life to give his perfect righteousness to you and to me as a gift, as a free gift of salvation. 
He died on the cross to pay for the punishment that is due you and due me because we deserve punishment for the sins which we have conducted against the holy and the righteous God. Jesus took that upon himself when he died on the cross. He rose again to show us that eternal life is in him. If we believe unto him, we will rise again with him. That is a promise of salvation. And as we believe unto him, we're given this perfect righteousness. We're as righteous as he is righteous, but not only so. We get to mature in Christ. We get to grow. We get to be sanctified. We get to change. See, when we get saved, we might still have some kind of carnal, earthly, fleshly behavior which we kept in our lives. If you get saved older, you have more of these, right? More of the fleshly conduct, more of the habitual sins which you have in your life. When you get saved, at the moment of your salvation, you begin to change. You begin to mature. You begin to become more Christ-like. Today in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 15, we're going to see this process of maturity. What does it look like for a Christian to mature? What does it look like for a Christian to become more like Jesus? The three marks of Christian maturity, which you're going to see in this passage, three marks, we should take care of this and, and take note of this, because these are the three marks that you will see in your life as you mature in Christ, as you are sanctified, as you're becoming more like Jesus. The first mark is this you will begin to value spiritual health. You're going to value spiritual health. You know, in other words, you're going to resist carnal behavior. You're going to value spiritual health. We're going to see this in verse 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, now a solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're still not ready, for you're still of the flesh. But while the jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So when one says, I follow Paul and I follow another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? As we come to this passage, we are reminded of the fact that this church that Paul is writing to is a church that Paul cherished and a church which God loved. This is a church that's been blessed tremendously. We saw this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 2. The church is called a blessed church of God because he has been blessed with spiritual blessings. He's been blessed with this very fact that it's been made holy in Christ. It's called a church of saints. We see this in verse 2. So with all the problems this church is dealing with, one thing's for sure. People of this church are saved. They're not saved by their own good works. They're not even saved by how mature they are. They're saved simply because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been saved through faith by grace. So how mature you are is not determined how if you'll be saved or not. You're saved simply because you believe. You're saved through faith alone. That is the final determination of how a person is saved or not. You're saved by faith alone. However, as this person is growing in their faith, Paul is reminding them of their need to grow in spiritual maturity. So in verse 1 or chapter 1, he begins to tell them how much they needed to grow by listing out the ways which they should not be conducting in. They should not be doing these things. One way which they've been living their lives is that they have been comparing themselves with other people. This is seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, which they say, what that means is that each one of you say, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. They're comparing themselves to others. This is a worldly way of thinking. You go out to the world, people are comparing themselves to others, right? So I have more money than you. 
At least they feel better about themselves in that way. I'm more uh, successful than you. I'm in a higher status than you in my org chart, in my organization. So people think that they're better because they sit on the top of this particular hill in this particular section of their lives, whatever section they define it to be. So they compare themselves to others in the world. And Paul is saying the church is so fleshly and so carnal that brought this attitude into the church. Now, this is comparison within the religious setting. In the religious world, in the religious setting of the church, you're not necessarily comparing with each other with how much money you have and how successful you are in the world because it's not the setting for it, but people in this religious setting within the church are beginning to compare themselves with each other in the religious way, saying, oh, I follow Paul. I follow this teacher. This teacher is more clear. This teacher teaches better doctrine. This teacher is more profound. Or I'm part of this small group. I'm part of this group. I'm part of that group. I'm part of this ministry team. I'm part of this onstage ministry team. And so therefore, people see me. And, and so they compare themselves with others to designate that they're better than other people. And Paul says that you are simply fleshly. This is not how you should function. You should be humble. Because God chooses the humble. We saw this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He chooses the humble. He chooses the weak. He chooses those who are not mighty. And the reason why he chooses those who are weak and those who are not mighty is because he desires to demonstrate his glory to those who are not mighty and through those who are weak. He wants to knock down those who are proud in the world. This is said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to, do, to bring to nothing things that are. So he desires to use you and me if we remain humble before the Lord to bring down the things that are in this world. And we know that this is going to happen even now during this time, also in eternity, when God's going to reveal the sons of glory and he's going to punish those people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ simply because they still have their sins. And God's going to exact his judgment upon sinners while glorifying the sons of God who have been saved by God's grace. This is all because all glory and honor belongs to the Lord. So those of us who understand this particular truth are not worried and concerned how we appear to people in this world. That people might think of the sons of God, the people of God as weak because we do not participate in the boasting. We do not participate in the dreams and the chase for success. They think of us as weak, as those who, who, who could be trampled upon and, and we'll just disappear and, and be gone. But God says this. God says you who are considered to be weak are actually wise in the kingdom of God. You sought to please God. You sought to live in the humility of Christ. Jesus Christ himself was humble even to the point of death. And therefore, he was highly exalted. We see this in verse, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through verse 12. He was highly exalted because he humbled himself. This is the wisdom of God. This is the spiritual truth of God. And those of us who are spiritually mature, those of us who know the truth of God, those of us who walk in the light of God will function in such a way. Wouldn't want, we wouldn't mind the world looking down on us. We just want to please God. We want to please God with our lives. We wouldn't mind to be humble. We wouldn't mind to be seen as weak. We simply want God's power to be displayed in us. And these things, as according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, is revealed to us through the Spirit. God is such a God. God is one who uses the weak, and he magnifies himself through the weak. The Corinthian church, however, has not understood this. 
So in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul rebukes them again, saying, and reminds them the way which they are today, saying, I, but I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. They're infants in Christ, the people of the flesh. Paul says, I cannot even distinguish you from the people of the world. You're infants. You're, you're like those who just got saved. Or you're of the flesh. You're walking on that line. And I cannot tell whether you are truly believers or not, or truly, at least from your outward conduct. He knows that they're believers. He calls them saints prior in chapter 1. Even here in verse 1, he says, your brothers, Adaphos, telling that you're brothers in the Lord. But then he says, as far as your conduct is concerned, you look like you're just of the world. In fact, you're infants in Christ. This is not a compliment. It's not like, oh, cute little baby. Let me give you some little milk to drink. No, this is a big man, right? Big man who's sipping on the bottle. Paul says this, don't be that way. Don't be infants in Christ. Be mature. And your maturity, Paul says, is not through your knowledge. It's not even through your productivity for the church. You can know a lot. And Corinthian church actually knows a lot. Verse 5 says they're filled with knowledge, right? They're enriched in knowledge. They know a lot about the Bible, but they're immature. They're of the flesh. They can't even do a lot. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that they're filled with speech. They have a lot of productivity for the Lord. If you read through the 1 Corinthian account, you know that this is a church that has done a lot. A lot of ministry activities. A lot of things going on. And Paul is kind of deciphering that for them, how you should do ministry. So there are a lot of ministry going on, and yet they're immature. So whether you know a lot or do a lot does not necessarily mean that you're mature in Christ. So what is maturity in Christ? Maturity in Christ is when you are able to follow Jesus and conform your heart to His and act in humility in everything that you do. The Corinthian church are not doing this, so continue on verse 3. It says, you are of the flesh. There's jealousy and strife among you. You're not fleshly. You're not, uh, you are not of the flesh. And, and asking him, say, you are not of the flesh of behaving only in a human way. You are this because they're fighting. They're saying, I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. They're human. And so when Paul preaches to them this humility, this, this doctrine of, of Christ-likeness and maturity, they're finding it to be boring in their lives. It's like this. It's like, I, I, they're saying, you know, teach me something new. Teach me about infrasolapridism or uh, hypostatic union. Teach me some words I do, not, I do not know. Teach me all these doctrines in the Bible. But, but when you talk to them about, hey, you need to be humble. You need to, you need to have grace and love. They're tuning you out. Say, I already know that. I already know that. Thinking about what they're going to do for lunch. Thinking about what they're going to do that afternoon. They already knew that. So Paul says in verse 2, they're not ready. Paul says, I'm pouring, your, I'm pouring my heart out. I want you to know these things. But they're not ready. They're tuning him out. Paul says, I want you to know this. I want you to know solid food. He says solid food in verse 12 or verse 2 is this. Is that you would know Jesus. You're moving on from the milk of the gospel. You believe in Jesus, but now apply it to your life. Let your orthopraxy and orthodoxy be combined. Let your practice and your doctrine be combined. Let your love of Christ flow out in what you do. It's not about just you doing things, organizing things, administrative things, administrating things. It's about you actually demonstrating Christ-likeness in everything you do. And it's hard work. It's hard work. 
It's about you being trampled upon, right? Other people don't know this shoe and you still do it. Other people think lowly of you and you still say, you know what, I'll, I'll serve them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13 says, we're to work our own salvation with fear and trembling. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to live that way. It's not just everything you do is seeing, you could be productive. It's about your heart being poured out for people at times and other people not noticing you but you're still choosing to do it because you're doing it for God and God alone. I kept thinking about healthy individuals within the church, and our church is filled with healthy individuals. And it's one of the things I cherish about First Baptist Church of Hollywood. We have healthy people in leadership. Now, not every church is like that because if some churches, they don't recognize the need for healthy people in leadership. They just hire whoever is most talented, most gifted, have most ability, and say, you know, put these people in leadership. They say, oh, these people are the CEOs of the company. These people are running these different organizations, so if they come to church, they'll be able to run this church as well. They're not even considering whether they're healthy or not. You know, Edwin Freeman, this Jewish writer, wrote about unhealth in the organization. He's a Jewish rabbi, so he's writing about all kinds of organizations, and he's applying to churches as well. And some of the things that he writes are actually very, very pertinent to church. He says this. He says, an, healthy, an unhealthy individual, that is, an unhealthy individual who is highly gifted and talented, who is in leadership position within any organization, is like cancer to the organization. You say, how so? So you have a body, right? Your body functions. You have colon, lungs, whatever, the stomach. You have all these things that are needed to function within the organization. So this person comes in, he offers his service, he offers his ability, so he's making a contribution. So people get used to that and say, oh, we could grow, we could do all these things. But then this person is also unhealthy. He's a person who's prideful. His person causes dissension. He's a person who gossips. It doesn't mean just he, it could be a she too, by the way. This person causes gossip, dissension within the body of Christ. So the person's offering a lot but he's also cancerous to the body. So what you do, you have two options. Maybe radioactive treatment, you talk to this person, maybe this person repents, right? Becomes healthy, praise the Lord. What if this person doesn't change? Two options, you have to cut out the cancer or the rest of your body is just gonna die. That's just what's gonna happen. And this, he's really true, it's really true. We've seen this in organization all the times within churches as well. An individual who's gift and talented and people are enjoying the gift and talent of this church is also destroying the church at the same time because the church, because this person is causing dissension and gossip within the church of God. So what do you need to do? Cut them off. I don't want to live without a colon. I have to carry the bag with me all the time. Yeah, unfortunately. So what do you do then? It's like, yeah. It's hard, right, when you have to cut out your colon, cut out half your lawn when that happens. So the key is this, solution is this, don't let them come in. Don't let them be in leadership position. Recognize that and stop them at the gate saying, hey, you know, you still need to grow. Grow a little bit and, 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 and we'll allow you. And we're not looking for the most gifted, the most talented, the one that have the most ability. We're just looking for people who are godly. That's why here in our church we have specific ways in which a person steps into leadership. Right? You have to be elected by the body of Christ. People who are mature get to elect you in. And if you want to serve in the ministry, you get to be interviewed by the deacon board, and by the committees. And say, hey, are you ready for this? We get to assess a person's life. Not just everybody gets to do everything they want. No. We want people who are mature. Not necessarily people who are most talented. After all, the work which you do here are not talent-driven anyways. It is not. You don't have to be most talented to be most productive for the Lord. The Holy Spirit works through you. 1 Corinthians 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 says this. This is the work which we do. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. What that means is this. We're actually engaging in spiritual work. This is an entirely different kind of work than the work of the world. You could be a CEO of a company. You could be a manager. You just fire people. You just get rid of people, or you just hire people who are most talented. That's not what we do here. We're seeking to have lives change. We're actually engaging in spiritual things. We're not just running organizations. We're not just making events happen. We're seeing lives changed. We're seeing people engage in spiritual things. We're seeing people learn in the Lord. So you don't have to be most talented and gifted. In fact, God doesn't choose most talented and gifted people to do this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, right? We already saw this. God chose those who are not, there, there are not many who are wise according to worldly standards who God chose, not many who are powerful, not many who are of noble birth. But God chose you and chose me to do his work. So here we see, first, mark of spiritual maturity. You have to value spiritual maturity. Okay, value spiritual health. If you're spiritually mature, you recognize those who are spiritually mature. When you're not spiritually mature, you kind of take them away by people's abilities, impressed by people's abilities. But when you are spiritually mature, you see right past that. You see right through that to the heart of the person. Hey, are you who you are? Who are you? Who are you? Now, besides that, no, no, I know what you do, but who are you? We begin to recognize the person for who they are. We value spiritual maturity. Second, a spiritual mature person not only values spiritual maturity, they also work well with others. They work together with others. We see this in verse 5 through 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Paul, Apollos' waters, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we're God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So Paul here goes into this description, this teaching on what he does compared to what Paulus does. And both of them are co-workers in the Lord. They're doing something completely different compared to each other, but yet they're pointing toward the same direction. Paul says, you know, this is what I do. In verse 6, he says, I plant. Now, I'm not nobody. I'm not anyone particularly, but I do this. I plant in Apollo's water. He's saying, no, this is what I do. I plant. This is what Paul does. He's a church planter. He's a missionary. He's an apostle. He's a sent one of God. So we see this in the book of Acts all the time. Within two to three years in the particular missionary journey, he'll go out there. He'll plant like four or five different churches. Now, he doesn't stay there for long. Every church he goes to, he just stayed there for a few months to maybe a year, and then he moves on. And when he moves on, he passes on to another person. So we see this all the time in the book of Acts and also in the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. He doesn't stay there and be there for 30 years like I wanted to do. I want to be here for 30, 40 years, however the Lord have me, right? We talked about this before. In the Lord's timing, by Lord's grace, by God's will, I want to be here. I will be here if the Lord allows to see this church flourish. That is not Paul. Okay? Paul plants and leaves. Paul plants and leaves. He plants and leaves and plants and leaves. That's his role. He says, aside, aside the foundation. Romans chapter 15, verse 20. He sets the foundation, and the other people build upon it. He says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 20. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. That's I build on someone else's foundation. So he doesn't want to go anywhere where the gospel is already preached. 
Interesting, right? I want to go to some place where nobody knows anything about Jesus, and I built that foundation so that other people can come and build on top of that foundation. So that's his role. He does that wonderfully. He's a master builder. We're going to read about this later on in this passage in verse 10. However, Apollos is different. Apollos is doing something else. He is the one who builds on top of that foundation. He's the preacher. He's an eloquent speaker. He's like many of us who are preaching the Word of God. This church has been founded 115 years ago. I didn't find this church, but I'm here. I'm preaching the Word of God here. This is what Apollos is doing. Acts chapter 18, verse 24, 25, gave a description of Apollos because he came after Paul and pastored this church in Corinth. He said this, Now a Jew named Paulus, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in Scripture. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately things concerning Jesus. And skipping down a little bit to Acts chapter 18, verse 27 to 28, he says, He greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing the scripture, showing by the scripture that Christ was Jesus. So he can preach, he can convince, he can communicate, he can disciple, and he's doing this work on top of the work which Apostle Paul had already done. Now, Apostle Paul needed him because Apostle Paul wasn't going to stay at the church for 30 years or however many years. Apostle Paul got to move on. He's got to plant more churches. Paul says, I will take it up from here now. I will build on top of this church. I will disciple the people here. I will stay here and preach. And Paulus is kind of like a canon, right? You think about the canon. It's kind of like what I do here too. I'm more like Paulus than Paul. Some of you are more like Paul. You want to just go there and be a missionary, establish churches. That's great. That's your gifting. I'm more like Paulus. I want to stay here. I want to reload fire, reload fire, reload fire every week. I just want to preach, teach Bible study, preach, teach Bible study, disciple, counsel. Teach. You know, I just want to do this. I don't want to go anywhere. Right? I don't want to go out there to the middle of the jungle and, or somewhere else and plant a church. Right? I don't want to do that. I just want to be here and see God's work done here. That's what Apollos is doing. Now, my work is not more valuable than those who are missionaries, nor are their work more valuable than mine. We just need each other, right? I don't have a foundation to shoot cannon, to shoot my whatever it is I'm shooting from, unless I have a foundation which is planted here 115 years ago by some men I don't even know. But they did the work of God, and I value them. But at the same time, they're dead, and I'm here. So we all need each other. Now, we're nobody in the sense that it's God who gave the growth, See in this verse 6, it's God who gave the growth. So I don't control you. I don't control the people who are here. I don't control the, 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 the past which, passageway of history. I don't know how the Holy Spirit is infecting your life, infecting your heart to be part of this church, except the Holy Spirit did, as the Holy Spirit did in my own heart. So the Holy Spirit is doing that in your heart and in my heart. So God is the one who gave the growth. We could water, we could plant, but ultimately God is the one who caused anything to flourish. He is the one who gives life. So verse 7, he says this, So neither he who plants nor he who waters anything but God who gives the growth. God is the one who takes all the glory. However, we are somebody. We are somebody in this case. Verse 8, he says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. Now it talks about us being laborers of God and talks about us being one in Christ. This is something that is profound. See, we're not competing with each other. Even pastors across town, as churches across town, we're not there to compete with each other. We're here to celebrate one another in our successes because we all are working under one boss. 
one company called the kingdom of God. We are. If one church flourishes, I might not be like, oh man, why is that church flourishing while our church needs to flourish? No, no, I'm happy that church is flourishing. I'm happy the Holy Spirit is doing that work over there. I'm sure that one day the Holy Spirit will do His work over here as well. Because ultimately, we only have one deadline, one financial report to give, right? One success story because it's about the kingdom of God. So when you do well, the whole kingdom does well. When I do well, the whole kingdom does well. So I celebrate with you, not in competition with you. But that does not just talk about, it's not just talking about pastors across town. It's talking about us as well within the body of Christ. We're not competing with each other. We do our ministry. We're not going to say, well, other people don't notice me. So, or other people notice that person more. No. Like, if you don't notice me, that's fine. As long as what I'm doing is contributing to the well-being of the kingdom of God, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Because I know I have one boss. I have a direct supervisor. His name is Jesus. He's going to give to me his wages or my wages according to my labor. He will reward me according to what he sees. So I just humbly serve before him. Don't have to be noticed. I don't have to be given accolades. I just have to contribute to the kingdom of God, knowing that God sees my work. Now, there's a particular illustration I want to give to you in the Bible. It's an illustration of the ants. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, Solomon tells us to look at the ants. Look at the ants. Learn from them. They have a lot of things you can learn from. I think God created ants for us to learn from. Now, in that particular passage, Solomon is saying, look at the ants. Look at how hard they work. I think there is a, a valid lesson in that. We're to learn from ants' hard work and their capacity to work. However, one other thing you can learn from ants is this. You can learn that they're selfless, right? You don't see a particular ant stand up and say, oh, wait, guys, look at me. I'm carrying this grain. Look how big this grain is. Or be that does that. No, they're, they're doing the work. They're just happy to contribute, right? They're just doing the work. Even their herd, their leg is not walking well. They're still carrying that grain, right, up the hill. They're just contributing to the colony. And God says, look at the ants. Learn from them. And I think one of the things that we can learn from the ants is not necessarily how other people see us, but whether we know that we're making a contribution to the kingdom of God. We're just contributors, however big, however small. As long as we can contribute, we're happy with living the purpose which we're called to live. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. We studied this last week. The word only actually isn't there. Just says, don't look to your interests, but to the interests of others. Don't be conceit. Don't have selfish conceit, rather. But in humility, count others as more important than yourselves. Contribute to other people's work. Don't just think about, oh, how other people can contribute to my work, how other people can come along with my vision and what I wanted to have done in this church setting and, and my ideas to come to foolish. No. Consider other people and what they are doing and say, how can I help you? How can I support your ministry? How can I support what you're doing? How can I make what you do better? How can I make you look good? Not how can you make me look good. How can I make you look good? For the sake of the kingdom, that is. Because that's what Jesus did. He made us all look good. In fact, he did. Watch this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. Who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself, saying, you know what, I'm going to go through this process so that you can be saved, even the process of death on the cross. But God, our God, throughout all this, was not overlooking the humility of Christ. And if you do this, God also will not overlook your humility as well. When you work well with others in such a way, when you consider other people to be more important than yourself, God will not overlook your humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11 says this, this is how God treated Christ. Because Jesus did this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus himself was highly rewarded, highly rewarded before the Father because of his humility, because he's willing to sacrifice himself for the betterment of others. He sacrificed himself so that we would be exalted, right? We would be brought back to God. If you do so, if you live your life with the same heart attitude, God also will highly exalt you, which is the third point, the third mark of Christian maturity, which we see in this passage. Not only is a mature person valuing maturity, not only is a person who is a mature able to work well with the others, a person who is mature also is this. He looks forward to the rewards in Christ. He looks forward to the heavenly reward in Christ. We're going to see this in verse 10 through 15. It says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I lay a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will be, become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul says here, I want you to know this. Every one of us are building on top of foundation in which we'll be assessed by when we see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. And Paul says this, each one should be careful on how you build on foundation. Now, he is a foundation builder. He said this in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, he's an apostle, right? Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Paul is a foundation maker. I mean, he's by that. He's that because of the fact that God's called him to be apostle. He's a sent one, specifically sent by God to plant churches. Plant churches, he sets the foundation, and the foundation is not necessarily the church, but the foundation is a message, the message of Jesus Christ in which we are all building ourselves upon. In verse 11, it says, There's no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So for all of us to gather here in this particular church setting, a particular gathering setting, we're gathering because we have a particular belief, a particular faith in Jesus Christ. These are the core doctrines. You have to believe certain things about God to be called a church, right? If you believe in Buddhism, believe in Islam, you believe in Hinduism, believe in all the other kind of religions, you're not a church. You're not even on that same block. You're not even in this category of receiving rewards from God. 
You're on a different kind of foundation, a wrong foundation, a false foundation. But if you build a particular church on this foundation, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the core doctrine, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? God the Holy Spirit does the work in the hearts of men. God the Son came, gave his life for us. God the Father orchestrating the events of salvation, bring himself glory. God's going to come again, redeem the world, right? Restore this world back to himself through judgment, through salvation. He's going to do all that. This is the core doctrine. Every single believer, you call yourself a Christian, you should believe in that. That's the foundation. It begins with that. Now, you can build on top of that foundation with a variety of different kind of material. So what are the materials here? Verse 12, gold, good. Silver, great. Precious stones, great. Wood, not so good. Hay, straw, bad. Don't build on bad material, but build with good material. So Paul says this, there are varieties of different kinds of material that you can build on the foundation, and each one are building according to the way which they live their lives. You say, well, what is all this material? How do you define what is hay, straw, and wood, and how do you define what is gold, silver, and precious stones? Well, here it is. Within the church of God, within orthodoxy, right? Within this belief that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins and we're going to be restored to him, churches have a variety of different emphasis. You can go to different kinds of churches, you can see their emphasis. Some churches say, God is all about you. God is about giving you that car. God is about blessing your earthly life. God is about giving you the physical stuff. God is about you having more money, more boats, more houses. If you want that wife, have faith. God give you that wonderful wife and wonderful kids. Churches will preach that. And I'm not saying that's absolutely wrong. I think God does bless. He does bless. He will bless your earthly lives as you live for him. That is true. However, as you read through the rest of Scripture, the whole context of Scripture, you will find that is not the emphasis of Scripture. The emphasis of Scripture is this. It's not what God's going to do for you to bring you the best life now, but rather what you're going to do for Him so that you can live that eternal life in the future. That is the emphasis of Scripture. For example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35 to 38. Read this. This is what God wants. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even in chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. I mean, why did they do it? Not because they were looking for suffering. We're not called to look for suffering. We're not called to embrace suffering. We're not like, oh, there's suffering. Let me go get it. No, it's not the case. It just happens because we're seeking after God. We're proclaiming God. We want God to be honored in our lives. We're faithfully proclaiming the gospel and other people don't like us. You experience that? When you're faithful to the Lord, when you preach the gospel, you say, you should live your life for the Lord. People hate you for it. So, oh, you don't tell me what to do. Well, those, those, if those people who are in power, they're going to persecute you. That's what happened to the people of the Bible. This is building your life on gold, silver, and precious stones. I think about the movie we watched just a couple of weeks ago, Sabina. This woman embraced a German soldier who supposedly killed her family. What is that? That's gold, precious stone, and silver. Rest of it is just going to go away. 
See, I'm not saying that we're all gold, all silver, all precious stones, because each one of us, pastor, whoever included, we're a percentage. Nobody's perfect. Only Jesus is completely gold. Seriously. I mean, sometimes you look at the stock market, it's like, oh, my stock market is going down. I mean, it's wood, hay, and straw, right? Or you look, you pursue your career, you pursue, your, you look at your money, and you spend all this time, like, trying to decipher how you're going to, how you're going to manage, you know, your earthly, you know, how you going to give all this money, you know, how are you going to, you know, show off people and, and, and social media accounts, whatever it is, with hay stubble. We have a lot of with hay stubble, but we have some gold. We have some gold, right? You go to church, you serve God, you dedicate yourself to the Lord. You're, you're putting yourself out there to service God's people, you know, and you're doing sacrificially and selflessly. There's gold in your life. So what's going to come at the end? Well, Jesus says this, or actually Paul says this in verse 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. What day is this? This is not a day which we are judged before the Lord in terms of our salvation. We're already saved. We're not going to, this is not the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. No, this is the day in which we're going to be judged for our rewards. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10, it says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, what is good or evil. So you're going to have a lot of wasteful things in your life. You're going to look back in your life and say, yeah, you know what? When God comes, and this is how he's going to do it. He's going to burn it through fire. Verse 13, you'll be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So whether it's gold, silver, and precious stone, the things you do for the Lord, those will stay. The things that are not, things that are worthless. You go out there, you just, you know, the times you watch movies, and you entertain, and all these things, right? Like, you know, I just, I, I'm just wasting my time, you know? It's, it's waste. It's just, just what it is. It's going to get burned by the fire. You watch the stock market. You try to earn as much money as you want. You pursue your own career or ambition. When the fire comes and burns everything, unless that's done for the glory of God, unless there's kingdom purpose in that, unless it's for God, unless somehow it attributes to the kingdom of God, because in that day, only the kingdom of God will survive. Whatever it is that you do on earth will just get burned away. I'm not saying that in that day there will be a lot of regret. I don't think there'll be regret in that day because in heaven, there shouldn't be regret. There shouldn't be shame or anything. I don't think people walk to heaven and say, oh, I'm so shamed. And no, I think there'll be happiness and joy. But at the same time, you look back and you just chuckle a little bit. I think one of me was chuckle. It's like, yeah, I wasted my life quite a bit. But I'm happy that I'm here. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what's going to happen. So, but, but you could be happier. You could be more joyful seeing what God's done through you. And Thomas Watson once said this. I don't know if it's a perfect illustration. It could be, I don't think it's false teaching. I mean, we'll find out in heaven. But he says, so everybody will hold the cups in heaven. And Christ's going to come, right? He's going to pour into each man's cup to the, to the brim, to the fullest. Your cup will be full. But how big a cup you hold <laughs> depends on what passed through the fire. You know, you're going to have your crowns, but your crowns will be cast before the Lord anyway, so you're not going to keep it yourself. You're not going to compare yourself with each other. You're not going to be like, oh, I have a greater mansion. I have a bigger room. Nothing like that. No. But you're going to be looking back and say, you know what? I, I, I think I could have done better for the Lord. I think that's what Paul is saying here. But why not know that now and really, really serve the Lord and give to God your all instead of wasting your time doing things that don't really matter in eternity, in which all that's going to be burned away? You might say, you know what? I'm just a regular citizen, not a pastor. I'm not a minister, so therefore I'm not really uh, able to do this. I'm limited. You know what? No. No, everybody are called to do this. 
everybody has this potential. Everybody are called to build on that foundation. This is not just for pastors. This is for everyone. You will be judged for the work which you do on earth on top of that foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be judged for how you live your life. And I think about Johnny Erickson Tyler. If you know that story, it's an extremely touching story. She was paralyzed from neck down, quadriplegic, jumped off a cliff into a river. Mrs. says how shallow the water was, hit her neck, and she was, uh, broke, the ver- broke the vertebrae around her fourth and uh, third and fourth vertebrae. Couldn't walk, couldn't even use her arms for the rest of her life. 17 years old. Today, she's probably 60 or 70 years old. You know what she did? She was sad and depressed. She had anger before God. She believed in God. She almost lost her faith until God showed her how much she can do. She began to draw with pen in her mouth. Start drawing with that. And she sold her paintings for the Lord. And she started to write with a pen in her mouth. This is back in the days where there's no computer, no dictation, right? You can't just say it. And people, I mean, people, could, you could, people possibly could write for you. But she wrote herself with a pen in her mouth. And today she's leading an organization by which she's leading people who are disabled to know the Lord, Johnny, and friends. She's gathering rewards in heaven. So it's not how much you do. You have your arms, you have your legs, you have your time, and you're using it, what, to satisfy your flesh, to waste your time doing all the things that don't matter. And here's a woman who had nothing and will receive great rewards from God. So God says this in Matthew chapter 25. It's not how much you've been given. It's how much you use with what you've been given. If you've been given one talent, two talents, five talents, all you have to do is use that talent for the glory of God, and God's going to receive you and say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Because ultimately, God is not looking at productivity. God's looking at your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says, When the Lord comes, will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Each one will receive his commendation from God. What are the things of darkness? Your heart. Nobody can see what is in your heart. But whatever it is you do, you mop the floor, you clean the table, whatever it is you do, you do it from the heart, you will receive greater reward than those who are doing it for the wrong motives. There will be many people in heaven who will receive better commendation from God than pastors. Old grandma and grandpas who, who are at home, homebound, couldn't go anywhere because of the health, prayed the entire day, prayed the rest of their lives, will receive more reward than pastors who are just doing their job. They will. Because why? Because they have the heart that God looks at. So here, what is the lesson for us? The lesson for us is to be mature. You need to become mature. Value maturity. Go to Bible study. Read your Bible Join a small group. Seek to be mature in Christ because you want to build on top of that foundation with service to the Lord. You want to serve in the church? You should become mature. If you're not mature, you're serving the church, other people have to work with you. And it's, it's a little hard, right? It's a little hard for other people to work with you. It's a little hard for you too. So be mature. Do become mature. Seek to become mature in Christ so that you could be of good contribution to the kingdom of God. Do that. Second, you can clap on that. <laughs> Second, Second, be a person who's easy to work with. Be a person who's easy to work with. This is what Paul is saying. I work as one with Apollos. Work as one with others. Be a good team player. Don't be the one that other people have to watch your face and wonder if you're upset about something. No. Be the one where you are easy to talk to, easy to, 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 
to work with in which if there are troubles and, and difficulties in the ministry, you're not the one who says, oh, what's going on? How come you're not serving me? How come I'm not having this and that? No, be easy to work with. Always ask people the question, how can I make you better? How can I contribute to your work? Be a good coworker in Christ. Be a good coworker. Thirdly, look forward to eternal rewards. Doesn't matter if you're CEO out there. Doesn't matter if you're a famous singer. Doesn't matter if you're some kind of hotshot out there. When you come to church, you put on the apron. That's it. You put on a servant's apron, you begin to serve. You wipe the floor, you wipe the table, you clean. Whatever it is that needs to be done, you do it. Because why? Because God's not looking at your abilities. God is going to reward you according to what is in your heart. Especially when other people don't see you, it really, it really is telling what, you, what are you doing it for, right? When other people don't see you and still do it, man, God looks at that and says, I will reward that. So be a mature person in Christ. So here we see the three marks of maturity. First of all, a person who is mature values maturity. Second, a person who is mature is easy to work with. He works well with others. And third, a mature person is the one who looks forward to eternal rewards. God is calling all of us to maturity because God is in the business of maturing us. I remember talking to a specific individual. This individual was a pastor with me, and he really matured because he used to be involved in gang activity back in Panorama City. I used to live in Panorama City for a long time. And he was pointing out this gas station, this particular gas station is where he used to rob people. I'm like, you know what? I'm so glad I didn't meet you back then because <laughs> I used to come to this gas station all the time. And I would have met you under a complete different circumstance other than, you know, now I'm pastoring with you, reaching out to gang members. God changed him. He matured him. And he's in the business of maturing us. And I remember one person telling me in this church saying, you know, you would never imagine who I was before. If you see me who I am now, you will know that God did a tremendous work in my life and say, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. God is still doing that. See, we haven't stopped. The journey has not come to an end. We might think, oh, I'm, I'm mature. No, no. Journey continues. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're being transformed from one glory to another into the image of God. God is in the business of changing us, shaping us, and it's our role to work hard as we are letting him do so. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for your grace in calling us to maturity. We know, Lord, we need this. We need this message. I need this message. I need to learn to be a mature person in Christ. Certainly, we all have our faults, and we can all have different focuses and sometimes the wrong focus. But we pray that as a result of today's message and today's text that we would refocus our lives to think about things uh regard to you and, and begin to redirect our lives in such a way that we begin to do things not just think but do things that are purposeful for the kingdom of god we thank you lord and pray the holy spirit to work in that way each one of our hearts individually so that you may be magnified and glorified here in this church in jesus name we pray amen <laughs>